Warning, this episode contains foul language and very graphic stories of rape and murder. listening to keep it weird the podcast for all things strange unusual paranormal supernatural creepy sticky gross scary and everything in between each week we have the pleasure of sitting down with a friend and discussing something weird my name is ashley and this week i am joined by my favorite person and co-host lauren as we chat about more unsolved murders Last week, Lauren covered Bella and the Witch Elm, and I talked about the Icebox Murders. It was a whole week of stuffing bodies into things, which is 100% the most gruesome thing I have ever said on this podcast. I don't care what you have to say. This week, we're covering two more crazy murders that have gone unsolved to this day. Murders are scary, but unsolved murders are the scariest. Speaking of unsolved murders... Stephen Garland and I are gearing up for our follow-up on the John Shakespeare murder investigation. Since we released Shake It Up, Murder in the Midwest, a year ago, we've received hundreds of pages of documents on the case, including Illinois Bureau of Investigation reports, crime scene photos, witness interviews, lie detector results, photos of evidence, and many, many Many messages from people hoping to help out with information, and I can't tell you how amazing it's been that so many people reached out. Unfortunately, we still have questions. So, if anyone listening to this has any information, you can send us on the Odyssey Classifieds, which were a publication sent out in the 70s by the Odyssey Club, which was an LGBT organization. We also need information on a man named Quinn Devon, who said he was from Ireland before he lived in Africa and then came to the U.S. and traveled from Florida through Tennessee to Illinois and then supposedly up to Chicago. He may have worked for the BBC as a journalist and or a documentary writer. We're also looking for the arrest records, the obituary, or any other information on a man named Don Kennedy Majors after he was charged for first-degree murder in 1980 in Washington. That is the state of Washington, not the capital, Washington, D.C. So if you or anyone you know has any information on the people, places, or things listed above, please email us at keepitweirder, keepitweirder at gmail.com. Also, people who are from Centralia, Illinois, that listen to this podcast, if you have a chance, this is like totally weird that I'm asking you this, but if you have a chance and it's not like the most uncomfortable thing in the world for you, Ask your parents um, if they remember the murder of John Shakespeare in 1975. Ask your grandparents if they remember the murder of John Shakespeare in 1975 and just see what they say and just let us know what they say because we really kind of want to get every last bit of information we possibly can before we record the follow-up and more than likely the final episode of the life and death of John William Shakespeare. Okay, without further ado, enjoy these murders. That's a weird thing to say, but still, enjoy these murders. Okay, so this next unsolved murder is a serial killer, which there are several serial killers who just have nicknames. We've heard of them all. The Zodiac Killer, the... Fill in the blank. All of the ones. <laughs> you I, named one. I know I couldn't think of any others in the moment. Ashley, the help. Zodiac Killer <laughs> really, at there's all. So uh, there's a body of Jack water. the Ripper. Well, yes. Green River Killer. That is it. <laughs> I was going to say Night the Stalker. Blue Lake. 
Wrong body of water, wrong color. The pink creek. Pink creek killer. Uh, the purple. The orange, orange ocean killer. Ah, I'm crying a little. Purple okay. pond. The purple pond. Um, yes, but I hadn't heard of this one, so that is why I got excited, and it sounded like you hadn't either. I haven't. Um, so this was a DC serial killer, the first one. There have been killers Washington, in DC, DC since. Yes. This was like the first prolific serial killer that came out of DC, and they're named the Freeway Phantom. Oh, I like it. And we've had some freeway-ish killers before. There's but, a lot of them. Yeah, but this guy, he was his own thing. Phantom was never associated. No. So that's fun. Okay, so this started with, and this one has some interesting side notes to it as well. So there's a good discussion that comes with this one. But the very first victim of this mysterious killer was a little girl named Carol Spinks at age 13. Mm -hmm. In April of 1971, she was abducted on her way to the store. Um, and she had been sent to the store against her mother's wishes. Her mom was to at get work. a jug of milk, and then she showed up in the painting in oh, her parents' living God. room. Is this the witches? <laughs> Basically. Which you can hear us talk about on the podcast movies that made us gay with Scott and Pete. And it's on a great iTunes episode. And Spotify. You should listen. Go on. So in April 1971, she was sent to the store by her older sister. I think she was one of eight siblings. Good Lord. And the oldest sibling was like, I know mom said not to leave the house. Well, like, I really want you to go get this thing at 7-Eleven. It was a 7-Eleven of all <laughs> things, too. And she was like, go up the street. And granted, it was just like a block away, which makes this all the more sad. But sadly, this little 13-year-old girl was on her way to the store and then never came home. Well, guess who's grounded? I know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but what's funny is the oldest sister was actually like 24. And it's like, can you ground a 24-year-old? But she was still living at home. So, yes, I guess you got probably could. Um, so she never came home. Her body was sadly discovered six days later, dumped on the side of the freeway. Mm-hmm. Um, she had been raped and strangled to death. Um, so she was the first one. Very sad. And she actually, uh, the groceries were, she had made it to the store because somebody had said they remembered seeing her in there right. when people were getting interviewed and the groceries were scattered very close to her body. So she was like walking back uh, and then dumped on the freeway, not very far from her home at all. So very sad. That makes me sick. It's awful. 13. So about six weeks later, in early July, a second victim was found. It was a 16-year-old named Darlenia Johnson, and she had been on her way to work. Again, she was walking. She was found very close to the spot where the body of Carol had been found. I think it was like 100 feet. It was super close, also on the freeway. Investigators were unable to determine a cause of death because her body was very badly decomposed. They didn't find her until 11 days after her disappearance, Mm -hmm. and it was super hot. This was July in Washington, D.C., and they have like the swampy, humid. Horrible weather. So her body was badly decomposed. Also really shitty. Someone had found the body probably like four days after her death and reported it. And police drove to the area but didn't even get out of the car. They just did a look around from the car and said, nothing to see here and drove off. Wow. But luckily the person that reported it went back to the spot and was like, the body's still fucking here. Yeah, and you so, still see the fucking body. Like idiots. Monsters. So they called in again and they're like, the body we reported is here. That's like when I called the police and said I heard someone screaming for help and they were like, where? And I was like, I don't know in my neighborhood. Just like send a squad car to drive up and roll down his window and he'll be able to hear it. Just come by. They were like, if you don't know where it is, like we can't. It's like, so you want me to go gallivanting around my neighborhood? My life trying to to find find this this screaming man asking for help. Do your job. It's insane. Anyways, I know. On. I hate that. The police work on this whole case. Like, you're going to be My next one has some pretty shoddy police work it's as well. crazy town. This one makes me so angry. So, yeah, they luckily went back. Thank what goodness. year was this? 1971. Okay. So, yeah, in D.C., So, yeah, they went back to the area and were like, nope, you didn't come get the body. And thank God someone finally came. It was so badly decomposed. They don't know if sexual assault happened. Like with the first girl, they hadn't even made connections to the first girl at this point. They were just like another death, whatever. Sad, tragic. We didn't even take the time to Thoughts and prayers. Exactly. Then just two weeks later, the killer strikes again. Mm-hmm. This time, oh, the victim was a 10-year-old girl named Brenda oh Crockett. God. And this one is a little crazier. So she had gone to the store as well on the instructions of her mother. So the mother gave permission this time, but oh, who so, sends her little 10-year-old to the store? It was the 70s. It was a different It time. was. And again, the store was really close by. 
So Brenda, so the mom, I think, was out and about, oh, no, this is what was it. My Sorry, my notes are all over the place, as per <laughs> usual. I'm so disorganized. <laughs> Brenda's mom, she hadn't come home for a few hours, so Brenda's mom went out to start looking for it, like right. all the local spots where she may be. But uh, the stepdad, or it may have just been a boyfriend, and the younger sister stayed home. And then a call was made to the home, and the younger sister picked up. And Brenda was on the phone. What? And she was bawling her eyes out, and she told her little sister that she'd been picked up by a white man, but was going to be coming home soon in a cab. Um, before her sister even had time to be like, what, how, why, Brenda hung up really quick. So then a second call came through and Brenda's little sister made sure that the boyfriend answered and was like, you have to take this in case it's Brenda again. Like, I don't know what was happening that first right. call. So she answered and this time she was bawling again, very distressed and said, I'm in a white man's house. And Were when- they black? Yes, that was going to be like my surprise reveal. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's so dumb. I was trying to be a good storyteller. <laughs> Everyone who's died so far is black. I'll just go into that <gasps> okay. now. So, well, because I was just kind of like, that wouldn't be she something said, that a small I was picked white, up by girl a white man. Would that was going to be my big reveal, Ashley. I'm so sorry. It just kept popping out at me. I was like, why does she keep mentioning he's a white man? Like, I know. I That is very true. I was feeding it to you. After this murder, because there are still a couple more, I was going to be like, why did she say white man? Because everyone's been black. Wow, sorry. So, I no, I ruined hey, it. It's fine. <laughs> you ruined my big surprise. My no. big reveal. Actually, I can't even tell the story anymore. That was it. No, I'm done. Okay. Uh, Ashley, it's your turn. Yeah, everyone who's died so far has been black, which makes this just all the more infuriating. But um, okay, so then the guy was talking to her and he was like, where are you? And she said, I'm in the white man's home this time. So he attempted to question Brenda further, of course, like, tell me everything. Where are you? What are you doing? What do you see? And then Brenda says something really weird. She says, did my mother see me? And he was like, what? Like, how would your mother have seen you? Where are you? And then she said, I'm at the man's home in Virginia. He was like, how would your mother have seen you if you're in Virginia? You're not even near home anymore. And then she said, I'll be seeing you. And then the boyfriend heard heavy footsteps and then the phone went blank. What the fuck? So that was the last they'd ever heard from Brenda. So that's very cryptic and weird. And she was unfortunately just discovered hours later. The other girls, it took days. She was discovered hours later, again, on the side of the freeway, very near her home. She had been raped and strangled to death with a scarf that was still hanging off of her body. Also, I should say, along with all these girls being black, they all were missing their shoes. They were fully clothed. Even after being assaulted, the clothes were put back on, but then their shoes were taken away and nowhere near the body. So it's just like a weird signature. Were never found. Mm-mm. So th- whoever killed them probably kept, kept their the shoes. shoes. Yes, it's like their little marker, their little souvenir, Ugh. which we've yeah we've talked about killers with souvenirs before. It's so disgusting and awful. So the shoes were always missing. Sexual assault has been a common theme. They don't know for sure with the decomposed body, but but how but how close Darlenia, the decomposed body, was to the other ones. They're starting to sense right. the pattern. Um. So the African American community of DC is obviously terrified as the news of these kills come out because pissed. they're furious because the police are shitting the bed on this one and all of the girls have been so young. They are all these like they're either young teens or this one was a 10-year-old little girl. They're tiny petite little defenseless girls who are usually just out having fun and they were raped and strangled to death and dumped on the side of a freeway like they're garbage. So it's horrifying. It's terrible. So then a couple months later On the 1st of October, the killer is back. This is the fourth time. This time it was a 12-year-old named Nino Moshia Yates. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Most people just called her Nino. Um, She was heading home from the grocery store. Again, it's just like they were just running an errand and they were walking and it's so sad. She was coming back from the store and within hours, again, her body was discovered on the side of the freeway, very near the other location. She had also been raped and strangled, and everything she had bought at the grocery store was lying right next to her, which that just, like, makes me sad. She was almost home and had all the groceries. Um, And it was after this murder that the killer got the nickname The Freeway Phantom and was all over the news. And then I also believe this is when the FBI finally came in, because this one was on i forget exactly i didn't write it in my notes like a fool but i think the body was somewhere on a parkway that the fbi was allowed to get involved like it wasn't right it was like a federal yeah it was federal jurisdiction at this point so they were able to come in and they were like we think we have a serial killer on our hands obviously did they have that term yet what serial killer 
I don't know if they did. I think this was all really new because criminal profiling was very, very new, which I did read in the article where they started to be like, I think it's this person of age. They like this thing. This was like brand new. So actually, you're probably right. I don't know if they would even call it that. I think they called it a sequence killer at that point. Ooh. Mm. History. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag history. History. A sequence killer. Yeah, they were like just trying out profiling at this point and I can even read at the very end of this I wrote like what their profile was for this. But um then November 15th, not too much later cuz the other one was in October, the discovery of the fifth body came, another Brenda, Brenda Woodward. Um she was the oldest of the victims at 18 years old, a senior in high school. This time it was evening. The other ones had happened more in the afternoon. It was evening, it was dark. Um, and Brenda had been having dinner with a friend. She got on the bus home with that friend, but she had to make a transfer and the friend did not. And that was the last time she was seen. The friend said goodbye. She went to make her transfer, never seen again. So she either got on the second bus or was abducted at the bus stop. They're not positive. But in the early hours of November 16th, police discovered a body once again on the side of the freeway. The killer did change his tactics slightly because Brenda had been raped and stabbed as well as strangled. Um, But her body was left a lot more bloody, not as well put together. Um, But the killer had removed her coat and placed it over her body. And in the coat pocket, a note was discovered, the first note. And the note said, this is tantamount to my insensitivity to people, especially women. I will admit the others when you catch me if you can, signed the Freeway Phantom. So this killer was loving the nickname, knew he was all in the news. Well, and I originally thought when you were telling this story and you like how he changed a couple things and she was so much older, it almost seemed to me like this was not the work of the freeway killer. Could have been a copycat. It was a copycat who was taking advantage yes. of the situation. Which is a theory. Okay. Um, it, she it, just doesn't fit. Right. She I mean, doesn't black. fit. She does. She is a black young girl. But yeah, it doesn't completely fit because she was left, again, more bloody and violent. And then there was also a note. So it could have been this person trying to take credit. That's absolutely true. And that is a theory. But what is believed is that Brenda, the victim herself, is the one who wrote the note because the handwriting matches her writing like out of her notebooks. And the paper was from one of her school notebooks that she had with her. And insensitivity is spelled incorrectly, so they think maybe she was nervous while being dictated to by the killer and spelled it wrong. But they believe because of the word tantamount, this was like part of the profile, that he may have been a pretty intelligent man, either average or above average intelligence. This is when they're trying to piece things together. But also, this could have been a copycat because the killing is different and this person is trying to take fame by leaving a note. So there's all kind of theories running wild about this one. This one threw a total wrench in the mix. But she also did sort of fit what had happened to the other girls. So just nobody was sure. And this is why when, uh, these days at least, when a serial murderer is active, the police will change details. Mm -hmm. So the police maybe won't mention the shoe thing. Right. So that if a body is found and it has shoes on and it was stabbed instead of strangled or it was much older, they could tell like, Like this isn't our guy. This isn't our guy. Right. But they don't add the shoe thing in the papers because Mm -hmm. if the, you know, if the killer gets hold of that, then they know exactly what to make the scene. Especially with the Zodiac killer, they had to do that. They had to change some of the facts so that all of the people that were calling in saying, I'm the Zodiac killer, like, they had a way to be like, no, you're not, because you got this wrong. Right, 100%. Which the shoes were missing again in this case. But yeah, yeah, there were still differences. So this one just honestly baffled people even more. So like, what do we do with this? Is this a fake? Or is this the freeway phantom finally just trying to communicate with us? And they used Brenda to write the note. Um, Even though they, they kind of went back and forth on this. As I mentioned, insensitivity was spelled incorrectly. So they thought maybe she did that because of nerves, but also her handwriting is like perfect and not shaky at all. So then they started to think maybe she wasn't nervous and this was someone she knew. So this also started to be a new theory of like, Mm. could these girls know the man who is abducting them? Is it someone, especially because he's dumping bodies like near their homes and also the weird call from the first Brenda that said, did you see uh, or did my mother see me? They thought maybe this was some sort of connection. Like the killer was talking to her saying like, ask if your mom saw us. Like maybe 
the killer knows the community and right. maybe he's like their neighbor. I was going to say, what if he's like a community leader? Totally. Like a coach or a Right. And he's almost like taunting or, people. Yeah. So yeah, that theory also started to come forward of like, what if mm. this is a guy like in the neighborhood and just nobody has any idea? So it just gets creepy. It just gets freaking weird. Then like this all happens. Investigators are going crazy for a while. They're going after it. The note really threw a wrench in the mix, obviously. But then investigators kind of just stopped because also the killing stopped. Everything was kind of happening right in a row. And then the killing stopped for a while. And also the FBI got very busy because then Watergate happened. Oh, shit. And they had things to do. Yep. They got very busy and people in the FBI were involved in Watergate. So everything was halted. Everything was put on hold. And also the killer just like went on hold for a hot second. So everything halted. At the same time? It was at the same time. Yeah. Which I know. Mm-hmm. So many fishy okay. things about it. <laughs> Um, but then this during the FBI hiatus, there was another killing, but it was okay. months later. So, I mean, you could go either way with it. But 10 months later, in September of 1972, a truck driver found the body of Diane Williams on the side of the freeway. The last place she had been seen was the evening before with her boyfriend, who then walked her to the bus stop and went home, and she was never to be seen again. She had been strangled to death. No result of sexual assault, but she did have semen on her sweater, which they didn't have the technology to test at the time. Right. So they couldn't do anything about it. But she did look very similar to the other girls. So it kind of reamped everything. But again, the FBI still couldn't get involved. So this killing happened, but it was just sort of like, okay, like local police will do what they can, but nothing happened. So then it wasn't until 1974 where things started to reopen again. And then a task force was set up to investigate the case. And like they really went gung ho on it. And they're like, we got to get something on this. So their biggest um, suspects were the Green Vega Rapists. It was a gang who were known for abducting and raping girls in the D.C., Maryland area. And they would drive green Chevy Vegas around. Um, They were the prime suspects because one gang member came forward and snitched on one of his other gang members saying he bragged about it all the time. And it was definitely him. But they interviewed the guy. He denied any involvement and also was able to provide alibis. So this one kind of ran dry. But they were raping and abducting girls during this time. So it could be one of them. And maybe just nobody was coming forward about it. Were they raping and abducting black girls specifically or just girls? Girls in general. But they were like, these could have been some of their victims. And maybe we just weren't paying close enough attention. But honestly, they just have so little that this was like their biggest thing. They're like, well, we know you are raping girls. So we're going to come after you. There was also a guy named Robert Askins who was um, a suspect for a while. He had some really weird stuff found in his apartment, a lot of weapons, also in his car, jewelry, and uh, clothes of women were found, but none of them matched the victims. Okay. But they did find out later that he had raped a woman. He was put in prison for it. Um, So he had committed other crimes, but they couldn't connect him directly to these girls. The reason they thought it was him was, I mean, A, he was just like fishy AF and was doing things around the same time these girls were found, but also his coworkers, he worked at some sort of tech company, his coworkers said he used the word tantamount all the time. And that's not a word you hear all the time. So they were like, tantamount? That was in the note. So he could have done it. He denies it to the death, but he was a criminal in a way. He was a gross guy. He was put away in prison, thank goodness. But they haven't been able to prove that he was connected because there just wasn't any evidence. But him and the Green Vega rapists were like the main things they had, but they just did not have enough to pin on them. So it's all still just theories, theories that people still believe and think should be followed up. But the biggest deal of this, it's still unsolved to this day. People are still trying to solve it, though, which I love. I think the semen from the final girl's sweater is finally like being put into rotation to be tested now that the technology exists. But what's really crazy is the case was reopened in 2001 And all of the files from the D.C. police have been lost. They're just gone. Every file, every note taken by the police is gone. Everything is gone. (laughs) Some of the freeway dumpings happened close enough to the Baltimore-D.C. like border that um, Baltimore police were involved on some of the cases. And they have some files, but so much less than D.C. had. So the people who are taking up the case have a little bit to go off of. And luckily, they had the semen specimen still that Mm -hmm. can be put into rotation. So they have a little, but everything is fucking lost. You said the area was really close to the line? 
Mm-hmm. So Baltimore could and that have been DC done on to purpose? Built. Totally to make have. it a jurisdiction fucking madhouse. Yep, I think to make it messy on purpose. I think, but yeah, what everything was lost. Yeah, and again, this case just kept getting. It was always forgotten, and luckily, again, it got reopened in two thousand one. And there's this woman who. Um, She was a black woman on D.C. homicide at the time. She wasn't specifically assigned to this case, but she was on, you know, the force and was kind of watching it from afar. She is still trying to help out with it as well. And it's like so important to her because as a black woman, she was like, we have to care for these black girls. So she's written all these articles and is trying to help and is super passionate about it, which I love. So people are trying to keep it alive and solve it. But what's crazy is. While it was happening, it was just so shoved under the rug. Police didn't give a shit. Mm-mm. Files were lost. And at the Literally same- Literally bodies were left on the side of the road for a week. Decomposing because nobody gave a shit and nobody cared that these little black girls were missing when it was reported. It would take so long. And then they were comparing it to in 1975, there was an abduction murder of two little white girls named Catherine and Sheila Lyon. And they, everyone went nuts. And it happened in Maryland, just nearby. And everyone went crazy and would not sleep. And everyone was working tirelessly. And they finally figured it out. I mean, it was years later until they figured it out. But people were like pouring their entire lives into it. And again, uh, this woman, I don't think I even said her name when I was mentioning her. Romaine Jenkins is the name of the woman who was like writing articles and is super passionate about it. She's like, hey, remember when all these little black girls were dying at the exact same time and none of you cared? So like I said earlier. there are reasons that specific groups of people are targeted by serial murderers. Because they think they can get away with it because no one's going to care. And it's just so sad. Like I said at the beginning, there is like a little bit of a side discussion to this because there was race involved and there were politics involved. And these girls Mm -hmm. were totally just left for garbage nobody cared (sighs) so it's very sad i do this one as compared to bella in the witch elm i think this one still may have a chance of being solved even if the person has passed away especially now that we have all these cases being solved by dna testing right and like it's like you just we needed we never know needed the technology to exist we needed the science we needed it to catch up that's why the show I was telling you about that you need to watch on, I think it's Showtime, Murder in the Bayou. Yes. All the girls that have been murdered, and I think they're 16 or 17 at this point, that might be too many. No? I don't know. Anyways, all of the girls that have been murdered were um, uh, junkies, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are labeled as prostitutes, Yep. but they would... They they would sleep with people, but it was for drugs. It yeah, wasn't for money. It was, it was like, yeah, like, oh, I'll get you high, but, you know, right. you need to sleep with me. Um, So they were labeled as sex workers and junkies. And it's in a town in Louisiana where it's like one side of the tracks, very poor people. Mm-hmm. The other side of the tracks, very affluent people. Mm-hmm. And they basically say in the documentary, like, if this shit, if like these girls that have been turning up dead in the swamp were from that side of the tracks. Yeah. You would not You'd sleep be going insane until this was yep. solved. Like the hounds would be out, everybody would be running through the woods like trying to figure this out. But it's there's so a true. reason those people are targeted. Like I can get away with this. You can get away with it. Yep. Because no one's going to care. This person needed to get their jollies by <sighs> raping and strangling all of these little girls and they were like I'm going to do it to black girls because it's the 70s, we're in D.C., and nobody's going to care. And they were right. And it's so sad because, yeah, still to this day, nobody has closure. Like, these families are, their family members are still alive. Like, yeah. this was in the 70s. People are still wanting their closure. They're wanting answers. And they're never, well, not never, but they've been waiting forever to but get it's this. It's been a while. It's been 40 yeah, or it's 50 been years so now. so freaking long. Yeah, the 50-year anniversary. And I I do love that people are actually trying on this one now and putting in an effort because people are realizing how absurd it there is. There are but, people that are still hurt. Yes. But man, it's just so crazy and sad. And the murder stopped after that last girl. And so maybe the guy moved on or died or whatever. But yeah, they still want to know. Yeah, he could be in jail. He could have gotten arrested. He could have moved to a different state and continued to murder. Right. And just like maybe went under a different guys, but who knows? I hope they figure it out. Me too. It's very sad. So for our final murder, for my next murder, I sound like a magician. For my next trick, 
And my next trick, I'll tell you something real sad and gross. <laughs> For my next murder, um, I wanted to talk about a guy named Charles Morgan. Excited. So Charles Morgan was 39 years old. Okay. And he worked as a head escrow agent at Statewide Escrow in Tucson, Arizona. And he lived in Tucson with his wife, Ruth, and his four daughters. So he's a totally average, normal dude. Okay. Or was he... I'm sensing a theme with my murder cases today. I really enjoy it. So on March 22nd... his name's Charles. His name is Charles. The Charles Killers. We named the episode. It's fine. Charles. So on March 22nd, 1977, 11 years to the day before I was born, Mm. (laughs) Charles Morgan disappeared without a trace. His family heard nothing from him until a couple days later when he burst through the front door of his home. And apparently he looked disheveled and he had handcuffs hanging from each of his wrists and a set hanging from his ankle. What? He was rummaging through the house without saying anything and found a pen and paper and wrote his wife this very weird letter saying basically that he couldn't speak because he had been kidnapped, tortured, and he had had a hallucinogenic drug poured down his throat, which made him unable to speak. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Who? Who? (laughs) (laughs) Which seems crazy. Yes. Yes, it does. So he told Ruth he had managed to escape from his captors somewhere near the Phoenix's Sky Harbor Airport. And he only ever referred to his kidnappers as them or they. Like she couldn't get any more information out of him. And Ruth told Charles that he needed to go to the police, but he refused, saying that that would basically sign a death warrant for the entire family. Oh, man. So, yikes. He even said that if he told her any more information than what she had, her life could be in danger. Basically, the less you know, the safer you are. Mm -hmm. So, normal dude. I think not. Your average Joe right there. So, after this whole kidnapping thing, he became a pretty twitchy guy. He was always on edge. He grew a beard. He refused to let his daughters or his wife go outside the house by themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, he arranged for them to be driven to and picked up from school every day as opposed to walking or taking a bus. Eventually, he gave Ruth a little bit more information. I assume she probably asked him three times a day for months and warmed down, which is 100% what I would do if I was in that situation. Like every day, I'd be like, so what happened? Can you tell me more Can you about tell me this anything? fucking weird event? So Charles said, told her that he was doing work for the Treasury Department. Oh. And at this time, Arizona was the only state that allowed blind trust ownership of real estate. And that law meant that individuals could buy property without being traced. So, you know, now if you want to find out who owns a property... Mm-hmm. You could pretty much, you could do it's that. It's easy. Yeah. Yes. There are but public back records. Then, back then, you could, in Arizona. You could be anonymous. You could be anonymous. Oh. The only person that would know who the owner's identity was in situations like this would be the escrow agent. An escrow agent like Charles Morgan. Shut I almost said up. Rogers, but that was the guy from my first story. <laughs> so many Charles. Charles so Morgan. An oh, my escrow gosh. Agent. And at the time of his disappearance, Morgan was supposedly doing escrow work for two alleged organized crime groups, the Ned Warren family and the Joe Bonanno family. Okay. Which I'm going to talk about a little bit because I love organized crime. It's so fascinating and (laughs) fun. Like the mafia and the mob. It's crazy town. That's my jam. There's a little bit. If you're out there, if you're listening, call me. Keep it weirder at gmail.com. Of mafia involved in the family I had, the documentary I told you to watch. So just really? get excited. Oh my yes. God. Okay. So uh, just to give you some background on who these mafiosos were, Ned Warren Sr. was a convicted swindler from Boston and eventually became, became known as the godfather of land fraud in Arizona. Okay. So he was reportedly sent by New York Underworld members to Arizona to develop a land fraud operation, of which he was very successful. He basically opened up land sale companies and sold land to investors under the guise that the land was great and habitable. But uh, then after they bought the land, they'd find that it was shit and that there were like no paved roads or like access to amenities, no running water, no electricity. Um, uh, And several people 
were, of course, murdered by the Warren family, too. Their accountant was murdered in a Phoenix parking garage in 1975 by two Chicago Mafia hitmen. One day before he was supposed to testify in front of a grand jury that Warren had bribed the Arizona real estate commissioner. Another guy, Tony Sarah, was the sales manager of a land sales company run by Warren, and he was convicted of land fraud charges in 1974 and was brutally murdered in prison in 1977. So they basically got a history of people associated with them getting murdered whored. Yes. So Uh if he was working with them. Yeah. Not a shocker. Makes sense. The other family that he was supposedly involved with was the Bonanno family, which is a much larger mafia family. The Bonanos are one of the five families that dominate organized crime activities in New York City. Okay. And they're part of what's known as the American Mafia. Like, if you talk about the American Mafia, they're one of them. All right. Um, This family is actually... Super freaking interesting, and I highly suggest you read up on them. I mean, you can literally, like, this blows my mind. You can go to Wikipedia, and it will tell you that Michael the Nose Mancuso is the current official boss of the Bonanno crime family. It just tells you that? just tells you. And that before joining the family, he was affiliated with the East Harlem Purple Gang. Like, you can look up all of the names of the people involved. In these crime families, on Wikipedia. the crimes they have committed. <laughs> I mean, the Bonanno family has a Canadian faction. Wow. Like, they're all over they the place. They are all over. And you can go to Wikipedia and literally look up their first and last name and their nickname. And their crimes. And their family and their crimes. That's wild. It's just wild. That, like It's public that. knowledge, and yet they don't get arrested. For no. Sure. So, um... It's the most interesting thing in the world to me. I love it. I know. The police are just like, nope, not touching not that. Not like, listen. No. no. Also, um, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Donnie Brasco. I have not. Okay. It's really good. Okay. Um, it's, I believe uh, you. Johnny Depp and Al Pacino. Ooh. And it's based on a true story Intrigued. about how an FBI agent, Joseph D. Pistoni, which is Johnny Depp's character, uh, was able to work undercover with the Bonanno family and almost became a fully initiated member. Whoa. Yeah, it's good. You should Ooh, watch it. Already into it. So back to Charles Morgan. Um, around two months later, after he had disappeared and got beat up and showed up, he disappeared again. Oh, my. That morning, Ruth took the children to school while Charles Morgan went to work, and he was planning on attending a Masonic meeting that evening. Yes, he was also a Freemason, so there's this that. guy. Monkey yeah. wrench thrown in. In the late afternoon, he called his office from a downtown payphone, and he said he would be arriving at the office in half an hour, but he never showed up. Rough. On June 18th, 1977, Morgan's body was found alongside his car on a dirt road in Sells, which is about 40 miles west of his home. There was a bullet wound to the back of his head. The bullet had traveled all the way through and settled between his teeth, which is crazy gruesome to think mm-hmm. about. Morgan was wearing a bulletproof vest. Well. He was armed with a knife and a, a holster, but there was no gun in the holster. But he had been shot with his own gun, a .357 caliber Magnum, which was found nearby, completely wiped of fingerprints. Of course. Inside his car, Pima County Sheriff's investigators found a cache of ammunition as well as several other weapons and several sets of handcuffs, like in uh, in his possession, in his car. Wow. One of the weirder things, one of his own teeth was found wrapped up in a tissue in his car as well uh, next to a pair of sunglasses that didn't belong to him. What? So that could have been a torture thing, like trying I to guess. get him to talk, ripping his teeth out right. maybe. And someone was in the car with him. Investigators also found that his car had been modified so that it could be unlocked from the fender. That doesn't, I can't picture. Yeah, what does that even mean? What that means or I don't know enough about cars that how that would look. Would be a thing. No. But it could. But it happened. (laughs) Um, Pinned to his underwear, investigators found a map and directions of how to get to the murder site which okay. they were at, so they didn't need, but right. they found a map to it, as well as a $2 bill. The two, $2 bill had seven Spanish names written on the front, which no one was able to figure out what that meant, Okay, as well as a Bible citation, uh, Ecclesiastes 12, uh, verse 12, wait, chapter 12, verse 1 
verse. Wait, hold on. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1 through 8. Okay, great. That's how you say it. That is correct. Which is essentially a passage asking you to remember God in the good times as well as when times get rough and life gets hard and that everything else is meaningless. Okay. So before Morgan's body was discovered, Ruth received a weird phone call. This was after he had gone missing again, but before his body was discovered. Okay. His wife received a weird phone call from a woman who referred to herself as Green Eyes. Oh, my. (laughs) She said to Ruth, Chuck is all right and everything will be all right. And then she also referred to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1 through 8. This is weird. (laughs) The woman eventually, uh, after the body was found and the cops got involved, Eventually, the woman identified herself with the police and told them that she had known Morgan and that she had seen him after he disappeared the second time, but before his death. And according to her, Charles Morgan had shown her a briefcase full of money that was supposedly for him to pay off a hitman that had been hired to kill him. According to Morgan, there was a $90,000 contract out on his life, and it was escalating at the rate of $5,000 a day. So if it was a crime family, then literally the boss or whoever was like, I'll give you, you know, $90,000 if you bring me yes. proof that he died. That you so several him. people could have been after Yeah. Him. My gosh. Police were able to corroborate her story via, uh, via CCTV footage. They found a Southside hotel that Charles had registered at before his death and also found that he had met this woman there several times before. Okay. Why am I so gassy? I am I'm too. drinking wine. I know. It's okay. not, well, and also LaCroix. True. But I don't have LaCroix, so I'm just a disgusting I'm just being who's belching. belching over here. So when Ruth was asked if she believed her husband was having an affair, she completely denied it. She said, and I quote, a woman knows when her man has strayed and Chuck hasn't strayed in 19 years. Maybe. I don't know. She she wouldn't be the first woman to insist her husband wasn't cheating yeah, was when like, he actually was. Welcome to many women <laughs> welcome, everywhere, yeah. all over the world. But who are we to weigh in on that? So <laughs> You're right. She claims that they weren't having an affair. Hey, maybe she knows her man, maybe. you know? New. Ooh. New? New her man. Oh. He died. Oh, yeah, November. in the past. Oh. So, <laughs> sorry. You really brought down really the mood of this happy story. <laughs> so after Morgan's death, his attorney, Ronald Newman, confirmed that Morgan had testified uh, in a secret state investigation concerning Tucson's Banco de Internacional de Arizona. <laughs> Do you like my Spanish? Banco you reminded me of Kristen Wiggin Bridesmaids when she's like, en la escuelas, <laughs> en la biblioteca. <laughs> it was my favorite thing you've ever done. So continue on. <laughs> and the bank's former director, David Colley. Bruce Babbitt, who I don't even fucking know who that was. I just saw his name one time. Who's Bruce? In this fucking article and several others. It just kept saying like Bruce Babbitt and I'm like, tell me who, who is Bruce? Is this? I think it was an investigator. Okay. Like, why are we talking about Bruce? But Bruce Babbitt confirmed that they had been conducting an investigation for the banking department and confirmed that Morgan had been called to testify about internal dealings at the bank that he knew of but was not involved in. Shortly after his body was found, his impounded car was broken into while in police possession. Hmm. Under mafia. police guard. The mafia. His office was ransacked as oh god. It's fine. <laughs> His office was ransacked as well. And several weeks later, two men claiming to be members of the FBI showed up at his family's home and searched it. Fishy, fishy, fishy. Like the most fishy, fishy I've ever heard in my life. So I don't know. But after it all. Morgan's death was ruled a suicide. Shut a suicide. The front, damn no. <laughs> a suicide. It was not a suicide. I can tell everyone that. <laughs> he was shot right in now. the back of the head. He was wearing oh, a bulletproof vest. I can't. 
which who is ripped out his damn yeah, tooth what? <laughs> also uh, like of course like i, I want to kill myself but i also want to protect my chest like i'm gonna I rip out my own tooth i'm gonna wear a bulletproof vest mm-hmm. i'm gonna shoot myself in the back of the head and which is super not difficult clean. and then wipe it clean after i've died yeah i hate everyone um real a suicide bad. is what the police ruled okay well and the case was closed on august 10th 1977 real fast like a month but but i so five decades later and no one knows who killed him and why they killed him obviously some people think it was new york's mafia taking him out another theory is that he was working as a secret agent which would make him a target for many people sure Another theory is that his escrow business was just a front for money laundering, um, like a money not. Man, that's hard to say after a couple glasses. Money laundering. Money laundering. <laughs> Another theory is that his escrow business was just a front for a money laundering situation, and it all went south. But who was the woman? Yeah. Who was green Who's eyes? Green eyes. And she called him Chuck. Like, why was she involved? Why did they meet? If he, here's the thing. Here's what I was thinking when I was initially reading this story. Like, I knew he died. I didn't know exactly how he died. But if he hadn't ended up very obviously murdered. Yes. I would say that this was all a ruse to try and run away with green eyes. Right. Which then made me think, like, maybe it was and maybe she did it. Yeah. Like, if she got, if he got all this money together Mm -hmm. and she. Killed him and took this money because the money was never found. This right. supposed like suitcase. Like somebody ran off with it. Someone had the money. Mm-hmm. This suitcase that he supposedly showed this woman. Right. But then why would she call his wife to say, to say that okay. he was okay? I know. All of that's weird. And it was definitely his body. It wasn't like they, you know. Yeah. It would it be, be different if he, they like burned, found like a burned body like, beyond uh, recognition. This was Charles. Yeah, like it was probably. him. It was him. I feel that it's like we were just saying with the mafia being able to get away with whatever they want. That's why it makes me think that they were the ones involved. Because the fact that everyone was just like, it was a suicide case closed. Everybody stopped talking about it. Well, it also, yeah, it seems like the police were involved in some way because the car that was impounded and under police protection in their possession was broken into. into. Yeah. And they had to be in the know in some way. The FBI showing up. Well, it said two men claiming to be the FBI. Right. Maybe they were. So they might not have been the FBI. I think this is mafia. And I think they're just so well connected and have connections even with the police that they were able to get away with this. And it's like, here's all this money. Say it's a suicide. And they were the ones that took the suitcase and Green Eyes was on their team. I don't know. She was the seducer. She was the seducer. (laughs) She roped him into it. Oh, my golly gosh. Yeah. This is a fun story that I literally had never heard of. Like Icebox, I was like, oh, I've heard mention of that. Charles Morgan, what is this story? Now, I'm going to go home and just like solve this case. (laughs) I can't wait to read According to the police, it is solved. It was a suicide. Oh, right. (laughs) I forgot. So catch up, please. Oh, man. Yeah. So, I mean, you might be right. It might be. Because my thing is, is like... He, all the mafia stuff, though, was all rumored. Yeah. No one ever made an actual connection with mafia. True. Like, yes, the mafia was in Arizona at that time. Yeah, he was working as an escrow agent, but, like, they never made a connection to either of those families. people actually bought land and had to do with him. And, like, bought land through him. Right. Like, no one ever actually made that connection. Okay. So, for me... When I was first reading it, I thought maybe he, but he obviously did get kidnapped mm-hmm. and then got away. Right. Unless that was fake. Unless he like faked all of that. I guess he could have. But, but... it just seems so weird. Like, why would the, I don't, it doesn't sound right. The mafia wouldn't pour a hallucinogenic drug down his throat. I know. Yeah. That whole first part of his abduction and then coming back and going to his family, that part is also strange. But why also, did... why would he stage that? Why would he have a bunch of handcuffs in his car? Yeah, but and were a they bunch of guns there. Yeah, true. Charles, you should see this guy too. This guy looks like every dad from every now. sitcom. <laughs> like he does not look like someone who would be involved with the mafia. Charles Morgan, let me see you. <laughs> 
He looks like my accountant. Like <laughs> literally just like the cutest little like just a sweetie. he's never gonna hurt you. His little glasses. <laughs> and he had four oh daughters and like he just seemed like a normal dude. That is really sad. Aww. And he had a good job. It wasn't like he, you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. don't know. It just seems, it's all weird it to me. very weird. That is a very bizarre case. And I just want to know more. And who the fuck is Green Eyes? Who is Green Eyes? The cops Why never released her name. Okay. See, with all, that is the that is the reason I scream mafias. Because why were the police just so like, no, everything's fine. Like I, they it's a suicide. Feel like they Move had along. to have been Move either along. like terrified for because their lives so, of the mafia yeah, being true. paid. I was gonna say it's so very obviously a murder. You would think yes. that if you know you didn't know who you, who did it, you wouldn't just write it off as a suicide because you'd be yeah. scared that it would happen to other people. But right. yeah, you're right. They had to have, unless the police were involved. I know. Also, themselves. yeah. If you just skip out the mafia, this could have been police handcuffs guns cuffs they have access to those things <laughs> holy mackerel this is they have badges to impersonate fbi agents true ashley true that's all the time we have this week for <laughs> keep it weird thank you so much for joining us as per usual thank you to all of our patrons we've got some newbies this month don mcbride jennifer ewing rochelle arsenault Jamie Paoni and Devin Maybe, all you sweeties, thank you so much for joining our weird family welcome. and helping us to produce our show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you'd like to join our Patreon and get discount codes for merch and monthly newsletter and bonus episodes, head over to www.patreon.com slash keepitweirdpodcast. And if you just want some merch, head over to www.etsy.com slash shop slash keepitweirdpodcast. We've got all kinds of cool stuff. Make sure you're following us on social media at Keep It Weirdcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you've got a free minute today, head over to iTunes and rate and review our show. Every little bit of support helps, and that goes for any small businesses you guys love. Aww. Coming up in the following weeks, we've got a new Hometown Haunts. We have an episode on sleep disorders and dreams. And a follow-up to our John Shakespeare murder investigation detailing all of the new information we received since last year. Yeah. Maybe Queen. a paranormal investigation? I hope so. I'd like to go to a haunted place. <laughs> <laughs> Alex is going to watch the baby so we can go. <laughs> okay, so tune in to just in. keep an eye out until December. What's our sign-off? Oh, I just wrote sign off with three question marks. <laughs> That's the story <laughs> of our life when we do an episode, just the two of us. Murder mysteries, murder mysteries, murder mysteries are very mysterious. It's not your best work. <laughs> I'm embarrassed by that, especially after the great song that I wrote for our listener that one time. This is disappointing. You're not a freestylist, apparently. <laughs> bye. Uh, bye. Keep it weird. Keep it weird. I was sad I didn't go out this weekend. Ugh. <laughs> Wash it down with some wine. Wash the belch down. Good lord. <laughs> <laughs> We're such class acts. Oh. We should just start.